Are we recording there? We are, but nice. it's, it's the B-roll. The Germans and they're in trouble. Alcantara couldn't do it. Lineker probably could. And he's going to be equalised. It's Gary Welcome, everybody, to the Final Countdown, a podcast looking back at great finals within the game of football. I'm Lewis, here with my co-host, Adam. That was watertight, mate. So, full disclosure, I've not had a coffee this morning, and I am lacking in energy until I listen back to the intro and just hearing mm. Pavarotti's dulcet tones. It feels your whole body, doesn't it? It does. Uh, I am energised and ready now for the 1938 uh, World Cup. Adam, take us away. 1938 World Cup. Well, we begin as we always do, Lewis. What do you know about the 1938 World Cup? I honestly think I know nothing. I, th- I th- Translation I know for everyone, that was nothing. He said nothing. There's nothing wrong with the way I say nothing. Uh, but now that you've highlighted it, every time somebody <laughs> listens to this, they're going to pick up on it. Um, I th- I know the winners, I'm pretty certain. Um, that is, I think, all I know about this entire tournament. Couldn't tell you the top goal scorer. Couldn't tell you who was in the final. Yeah. Um, other than... Are we spoiling? I don't know. Go on, spoil, mate. Yeah, so uh, Italy win for a second time Yeah. because uh, Vittorio Pozzo, who was obviously manager um, in the report I did last week. <laughs> I know nothing. <laughs> no, but as in... Vittorio Pozzo, obviously. <laughs> but that I only know because of my research last week um, about that tournament. Okay, so I right. knew that Italy went on to win uh, this World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Pozzo was, I think, still the only manager to have won two World Cups. Um, in a row, yeah. In a row. Uh, yeah, that is it. That is the, the extent of my knowledge on this one. Well, that's not bad, mate, in fairness. I think this is one of those World Cups that does seem to get a bit lost because it wasn't, you know, the first or the second. Yeah, it's kind of sure. into the run of World Cups now. And also it was before the break for the war, which we'll get into. There's a 12-year a break um, um, for the Second World War, uh, which, in fairness, heavily impacted this World Cup right. because this is 1938, July, June, July 1938. World War Two started September 1939, so the shadow of everything that was going on in Europe yeah, sure. is very much Leaves evident. Large. Yes, as we go through this, so let's begin. So there's a fair bit to kind of um, set us up for the actual final uh, to understand. I think is is massive to understand what was going on um, after the first two World Cups. Jules Rimet was still the FIFA president. He had got the first two World Cups off the ground, still gleaming, still gleaming at this point. Uh, so he. Uh, obviously got the one in Uruguay and then uh, brought it back to Europe in 1934 uh, and then made a very controversial decision and he brought it home to his country of France in 1938. Right. Which was controversial because the South Americans kicked right off. Oh, because it was Europe again? Yeah, they were like, hang on, <laughs> isn't it meant to be ultimate? Yeah, ultimate? sure. And obviously we're still in the age of kind of like travel is a real you know pain. Yeah. So France was chosen over, and this is interesting in the context of the war as well, France was chosen over Argentina and Germany 
Interesting. In the in the voting, so it's voted on. Yeah. Um, the decision to hold a second consecutive tournament in Europe after Italy uh, four years before caused outrage in South America, where it's believed the venue should alternate between the co- two continents. Mm-hmm. Because of this, neither Uruguay or Argentina entered. Wow, crazy! It's so much of this early stuff is people throwing their toys at the pram is, yeah. and being like, "All right, I'm taking my ball. I'm going home. Yeah. This is not going to be something I'm a part of." Absolutely. So certainly the. Certainly the top two teams um, in South America at that time. Brazil were up and coming, which we'll get to Brazil in a second. But, you know, obviously Uruguay had contested the final eight years before with Argentina. They weren't there. That's crazy. So Italy must have been rubbing their hands with glee. Yeah, sure. I know. If if I was an Italian fan, I'd be like, yes. Yes. I'd probably be like, ciao. (laughs) Is that yes? I was trying to think of it. Isn't ciao one of those words that just means everything? No, it's like hello, goodbye, isn't it? It's like a, a, a greeting and a... I think you knew Whatever what I the meant there, didn't you? Eh? Is. Yeah, but I think if there are any Italian <laughs> listeners here, as we butcher the fact that we don't know what yes is in Italian, I'm going to say... See? See. Is it see? Sorry. In the end, the only non-European teams in the tournament were Brazil, Cuba, participating Cuba. in its only World Cup today, except for this year. Wow. Cuba are back in it this year, um, in 2022. So they were in there uh, first. And then the Dutch East Indies. Wow. Do you know who that is? The I didn't Nether- know this. The Netherlands? No. No, I don't know. Indonesia. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. So the first Asian team yeah. uh, to compete in a World Cup, the Dutch East Indies were there, uh, So with Brazil and Cuba as the only non-European nations. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Where we're talking about obviously alternating between South America and Europe, South America and Europe. Entirely forgetting like the idea that Asia up until, what, 2002, hadn't ever hosted a World Cup. And yeah. then, uh, obviously, Africa until Africa, 2010. Yeah, yeah. Like, these enormous continents, yeah. but we're just like, no, it's South Massive America and Europe. parts South of the America, world. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah, there's a certain arrogance to that. But anyway. There is. I mean, I imagine it's... Because I was thinking the same about... I know Australia aren't a big um, football nation, but they're a big nation yeah. in the world kind of scope of yeah, things. Exactly, and yet yeah. they haven't. Yeah. And I assume that must be money for TV audience. Well, they were heavily um, thought to to be getting the 2022 World Cup before oh, really? Qatar obviously paid the money and got yeah, what they got. Yeah. Um, so Australia and New Zealand, I think, were going yeah. to to joint host. So yeah. it's interesting that, yeah, I'm sure they will get one within the next probably 15, 20 years. I but you'd have to. That part of the world has never seen a World Cup. I find no. that bizarre. And they've got the infrastructure. Yeah. Like, they've Absolutely. got the well, they've done the Olympics, they've, the they've done the Rugby World Cup. They've done, exactly. Yeah, they do them all. Yeah, very strange. Anyway, big up Australia. Um, back to 1938. It was the first time that the host France and the title holders qualified automatically. Ah, uh, nice. So that was actually a rule up until 2002. Uh, the title holders and the hosts qualified automatically. Is I, that not I didn't still know that. The, well, I no, thought that not. was still the rule. The, the hosts do, but not the title holders. Interesting. Yeah. I suppose it makes sense. You have to qualify again. Yeah, that's right. I so, hope, yeah, have yeah. two and two together. On but I, I don't think I remember like you know Germany not having to qualify for ninety four, no, sure. having won it in ninety. No, I don't remember that yeah. at all. So that was news to me. Um, so this is interesting. And again, the shadow of the war we talked about. So Austria qualified. This is a big story before the World Cup. Austria qualified for the World Cup, but after qualification was complete, the Anschluss, if you know your history, uh, which was um, the uniting of Austria with Germany. Right, okay. Um, Austria, obviously, Hitler was Austrian, so there was a, a big, heavy influence there. Austria subsequently withdrew from the tournament with six Austrian players joining the German squad 
Uh, although not including Austrian star player Matthias Sindelar, who refused to play for the United team. That vaguely rim- rings a bell that Sindelar did that. Yeah. That is very interesting, though. I totally forgot about that whole point in history. That's right. So incredibly brave. So Austria had gone through the trouble of qualifying, so their space was left vacant, and obviously with not much time to go. So FIFA were like, ah, we need to get another team in here uh, in order to have the 16 teams to play the World Cup. So they went and knocked on the FA's door. Oh, here we go. Come on. Let's bring it. The home of football. Come join us. Yeah. Come join the world. Unfortunately, England, who were still in the midst of their self-imposed and self-important exile from FIFA competition, turned them down. Outrageous. Although, interesting, it? I did read that um, So England were largely considered to be one of the best teams in the world, despite the fact they wouldn't enter um, FIFA tournaments. Right. In uh, November 1934, after Italy had won the World Cup, Italy came to England and played a friendly yeah. against England, which was considered, mainly by the English media, sure. but was considered the real World Cup final. Yeah, well, that doesn't surprise Isn't me. interesting? Who won out of curiosity? Of that England game? won 3-2. Did they? Yeah. Interesting. Um, against an Italian 10 men, um, because they had a guy uh, go off injured. Right, okay. Yeah. Wow. So I was, I was going to put a little bit about that, but I just remembered it by... Look at that. Yeah, just like that. Fun and education. Yeah, every week. <laughs> So, sorry, I'm very aware of all this setup I've got to do. Latvia was the runner-up in Austria's qualification group, but was not invited to participate, which you think would have been sure, yeah. natural. That's what happened with um, Yugoslavia in 1992, with the Euros, yeah. Denmark came in. Uh, instead, Austria's place remained empty. Uh, and Sweden, which would have been Austria's initial opponent, progressed directly to the second round by default. It was knockout. It was no groups. Right, of course. Yeah. So this was interesting. So they just gave a bye rather than inviting them. Exactly. Team. So this was the last World Cup where the knockout format was retained. So like a, you know, not even Champions League, uh, like a you know a regular FA Cup. Yeah, type thing. yeah. Or the FIFA Club World Cup yep. that currently takes yep, place. Exactly that. So uh, if a match was tied after 90 minutes, 30 minutes of extra time were played. If the score was still tied, the match would be replayed. Um, which came into this, interestingly, um, it affected Brazil in a big way. Um, so this was the last World Cup that that, was, uh, that system was used. Um, so until we drill down into a couple of specifics, this is the last one. It saw the World Cup debuts of Polo, Poland and Norway uh, and uh, Romania, who would not qualify for another World Cup until 1970 after wow. this one. Because Romania were in the... First one, is that First right? one, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the last World Cup they'd be in until 1970. Uh, Poland and the Netherlands would not reappear at a finals tournament until 1974. What? Yeah. No. Where Netherlands obviously got to the final. Yeah. So yeah, they went oh my God. a big gap from 1938 all the way through to Cruyff, basically. That is crazy. Um, and then, interestingly, Norway would not qualify for another World Cup after 38 until 1994. That is insane, isn't it? Nuts, isn't it? Uh, and obviously, for those that know their history, a, un- a unified Germany team would not appear again at a World Cup until 1994 mm-hmm. uh, after this one. So uh, let's drill, drill down into a, a couple of specifics that set up the context of the match, the final. You just cannot write scripts like this. Uh, first of all, Germany, which obviously was a big headline, more probably in history than it was in the moment because no one really knew that World War sure, was coming. Yeah. Um, Germany, they had led 1-0 in the first game against Switzerland, led 2-0, but eventually were beaten 4-2 um, by Switzerland. The loss, which took place in, a, in front of a hostile, bottle-throwing crowd in Paris, uh, was blamed by the German coach Sepp Herbauer on a defeatist attitude from the five Austrian players he had been forced to include in the team. It goes back to the Mussolini thing again, didn't it? Where yeah. it's like, no, we'll we'll take all of your best players, but you're not one of us. Like, we will throw you under the bus yeah. at the earliest opportunity. Yeah, and he did exactly that. Straight after the game, this was. Wow. A German journalist later commented that Germans and Austrians prefer to play against each other even when they're in the same team. 
So that is crazy. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say about that. It's just this xenophobic, racist, just horrible ideology of like yeah. us against them. And yeah, even when you've effectively exploited them for their talent and then you just turn your back on them, just an, another level, isn't it? Well, I'm assuming that the football team had nothing to do with the Austrians actually being... Yeah, sure. It would have come from way up yeah. above. Um, but a little football fact. Until they were knocked out in the first round in 2018, this was the only time Germany failed to advance past the first round in 80 years. Yeah, I think we've um, alluded to it previously, but when you look at the record of Germany and World Cups, it is just sickening because it is, it's basically just like first, third, third, second, first, yeah. first, second, third. It, they just, yeah, ob- obliterate people. Yeah, exactly. So on to Italy, uh, the holders and, you know, basically the best team in the world at, uh, at this time. So Italy's 1934 and 1938 teams hold the distinction of being the only men's national team to win the World Cup multiple times under the same coach, as you mentioned earlier, Vittorio Pozzo. Is that the right way? Pozzo. I'm going to butcher it. You know, well, Vittorio Pozzo was still in the midst of his 19-year reign as the manager of the Italian national team, which is incredible. Yeah. Like, that's not done at all. So I didn't know if you knew this, mate. I very rarely do formation and tactics as my focus. I'm quite intrigued now, yeah. So his 2-3-2-3 formation. Interesting. Breaking away from the 2-3-5 formation. (laughs) Known as Il Metodo, or The Method. (laughs) <laughs> that's good that's good branding Thanks, that is. it was still as sharp as ever um so yeah the two three two three which uh, you know, have a look at it it's crazy like really weird setup um but apparently it worked because they absolutely dominated so it was a testament to pozzo's co- coaching ability that the team was still playing so well despite an almost total turnover in the team's roster from between 1934 and 1938. Only four players from the 34 champions remain in the squad, in the squad in France four years later. Amazing. That's crazy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I bet you Giuseppe Miazza was there, though. He was. We'll yes. get to him. Yeah. Very awesome. good, mate. Uh, the Italian players, uh, so a little bit more of a downturn here. The Italian players made fascist salutes before the games. I'm sure they were told to. Yeah. Um, when they had to change to the away team shirt against France in the quarterfinals, they would not play in white shirts. They refused, or at least their management sure. did. Uh, and they uh, came uh, came onto the pitch wearing black at Mussolini's insistence, the fascist colour. Wow. So, I mean, no no wonder they were like had bottles thrown at them and stuff like that. Yeah, so sure. Apparently, Italy played a lot of their games in a very hostile environment, especially mm. in Paris. I, I was just about to say that, like, with it taking place in Paris yeah. and what would happen throughout the events of the war, like, it's not a surprise that there was so much hostility there. Not at all. Mussolini didn't give a crap, yeah. unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, he was... Um, we talked about his impact on the 1930 or 34, 34. Uh, and it's very much the same uh, again here, actually, the, very much the same. We'll get to it in a second. Um, but before drilling down in Brazil, so the semi final, Brazil, were the, it's the first time Brazil kind of brought what we would recognize as Brazil, this kind of attractive, neutrals, love them type football. Yes. Um, the, their striker, Leonidas, or Leonidas. This is madness! Madness. This is Sparta! Uh, was the top scorer for the tournament. Right. He, he kind of embodied almost like, you know, the Pele, Jairzinho, mm-hmm. later Zico. The and, tradition, you know, the Brazilian tradition. Yeah, just, yeah. Oh, I love that player. Even Neymar now, like just the, the Brazilian team that you can get behind. Yeah. Um, so the semi-final, interestingly, having said that, saw one of the most controversial coaching decisions in World Cup history. Okay. Which I was intrigued by. So a Brazilian manager, Pimenta, dropped star striker Leonidas. This is Sparta! For the semi-final. Despite the fact he was top scorer? Yeah. 
So he had that point, had scored five times in three games. He eventually scored seven for the tournament uh, and would win the uh, tournament's golden boot. But he dropped him from the semi-final. No, the motivation for this move is still debated to this day in Brazil. Oh, I love this. Bit of controversy. Some point to Pimenta's statement that he was resting Leonidas. This is Sparta! This for the final as proof of massive confidence that Brazil had that they would just simply get there. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they didn't. They they, they lost... um, uh, to Hungary. Um, Pimenta himself s- later said that Leonid this is Sparta! just didn't play because he was physically unable to do so. Uh, now, the Brazilians have been forced into a replay. So there's a little bit where, yeah, that might check out. Mm-hmm. The Brazilians have been forced into a replay. So this is where the replays thing came into yeah. it and probably why they were abolished by the 1934 finalist Czechoslovakia in the quarterfinal. Uh, and the semi-final was their third game in six days. Oh. That is incredible, isn't it? So such a claim may have weight. Some theorise that Mussolini himself uh, pressured the Brazilian manager to drop his star after Mussolini identified Brazil as the major threat to Italy's winning the final. Which, as we saw from the report last week, like he was literally sending death threats to his own manager and his own players. So yeah. it, it wouldn't surprise you if he had somehow got to the Brazilian manager and implied something along the a same lines. A lot of people lines. believe it, yeah. A lot of people believe that you know, there was something so weird about it, even to bring Leonidas... This is Sparta! To bring him into the semi, uh, to the semi-final, win the game, and then you know rest him or tell him to take it easy, yeah. you know play him on the wing, whatever it, you know that's what they used sure, to do instead yeah. of subs is they reposition the team just to give someone a breather. Yeah, yeah. A bit like cricket with fine leg. <laughs> <laughs> take a breather, I'll, mate. I'll take your word for it, mate. <laughs> uh, so interesting. You, meant that you mentioned the death threat. Mussolini was up to his old tricks again. Either way, uh, um, Italy overcame a lackluster Brazil and would. Uh, uh, eventually defend their crown in Paris against Hungary. In the background, the emerging future powers of football Hungary made their way quietly through the rounds to the final, which is interesting, obviously, with what we know as football historians yeah, sure. to come. Uh, with 1954, saw arguably the best team to ever come to a World Cup. Yeah, the, the mighty Magyars. Yeah. They literally have folklore, but 12 years earlier then it's... Absolutely, so that was beginning to come through. So Hungary um, got to the final, but before the final, ru- rumour has it, strong rumour has it, that Benito Mussolini was to have sent a telegram to the Italian team. It's like copy and paste. Yeah. So here it is again, Vincere or Moira, literally translated win or die. So that was Mussolini's um, uh, kind of well wishes uh, to the Italian team. I mean, it's so weird, isn't it? Because obviously Italy win two World Cups in a row. They win a couple of Olympic medals mm. as, as well in the gaps. Like, so clearly they were very talented. Yeah. But there is also this, when you're playing seemingly for your life, what does that do? Obviously, like yeah. cripplingly, it does to you on a personal level. But in terms of in your on the pitch, like how does... It's just fascinating, isn't it? The yeah. idea of how does that um, show itself, I guess, in... Because yeah. it's not as if players don't try. Do you know what I mean? It's a World Cup final. They would have been giving it their all anyway. But I guess knowing that there's exactly. this yeah. thing over you, it's another level again. So, it, it, we'll come to this in the aftermath, but interestingly as well, it's worth noticing that both Sorosi, the Hungarian captain, and Zabo, the Hungarian keeper, both acknowledged before the game that they were aware of the telegram. Oh, wow. So the Hungarian team were aware of it. But we'll come back to that because we have to actually cover the map. Oh, yeah, I forget about that small thing in the final uh, countdown. This is almost the smallest paragraph, yeah, but I sure. think this is the way that the World Cup final countdown podcast goes. It'll be interesting what <laughs> tournament or year that 
that turns when we can actually spend the majority of the time talking about the football and the game it's rather weird, though, than the Yeah, but I think with the World Cup, there's an element where the, the, hist- the history, the football history and the world history help create. Because World Cup's such a big event in some ways. Yeah. It marks things and, and marks moments along the way. So, yeah, I think, we'll, you know, obviously, we're going to cover the game, of course. But I think we might be on to a little bit of a different dynamic with the World Cup because it is... Yeah, the final isn't always the biggest story. No, it's it? not. You're right. Yeah, well, certainly in the first three, it hasn't yeah. been. So anyway, we'll cover the match. The final itself took place at the Stade Olympique de Colombes. So not the um, the main one, Stade, Stade de France. Stade de France, so not that one, interestingly, uh, in Paris. Um, so that, that for whatever reason, they played in the what was considered to be the lesser stadium. Similar size, but the lesser stadium. Um, Hungary mirrored uh, Pozzo's tactics with both teams coming out with a 2-3-2-3 formation. Interesting. So I thought that was great. Yeah. It's like, what should we do? We should do the same as yeah, them. Yeah, copy them. Yeah, exactly. Um, so here he is. Miazza. Yes, here we go. So he had a big influence on the game. Uh, a, a massive player for Italy. Um, ended up being, uh, when he finished his career, he was the top scorer for Italy. Uh, eventually being uh, usurped by other um, it- Italians as history made its way along. But Miazza was you know, a huge player. H- it was him who made the breakthrough in this game. His long, long diagonal ball, and I've seen a little clips of this. You can start to see clips. Brilliant ball. Found uh, Colosi uh, unmarked in the box, and he hammered the ball past Zabo six minutes in. Interestingly, it took about 120 seconds for the Hungarians to respond. Amazing. Yeah, That's so straight great. back in it. Uh, they kept the ball in the Italian area despite attempts to clear. A little bit scrappy. The ball fills to Tikkos on the left-hand side of the box and he beats Olivieri from an acute angle to draw the game level. Um, after the frantic start, two goals in the first 10 minutes, it kind of settles down a little bit. And if I'm honest, from every report I've read and the little bit of highlights, Italy's class really starts oh, to really? show. Oh, really? Um, so they begin to dig in. The 16th minute, Piola, who uh, who would get a double in the game, was supplied with a ball just to the left of the penalty spot. And he fires a great shot into the top right-hand corner uh, to give the Italians the lead. It comes off the stanchion. Oh, yes. What a mention for the stanchion. <laughs> uh, so Miazza, again, was the provider, uh, setting up um, Piola for the goal. And the Italians would not relinquish the lead. But that's not really the end of the story, in okay. a sense, because so they they wouldn't, you know, they never went behind again. Uh, but that's not necessarily the story of how the Hungarians played this game out. Anyway, ten minutes before halftime, Italy extended their lead to three one after the unmarked Kalausi scored his second goal. A dreadful mistake by the Hungarian defence. Confusion between the two centre backs, and Kalausi breaks through to make it three one. A lot of Hungarian uh, kind of reflections and players kind of looking back said that was really the end of the game. If that yeah. hadn't gone in, different game. Because the second half really belonged to Hungary. Zabo, the Hungarian uh, keeper, kept them in it in the second half as the Hungarian team managed to press against the pressure from the Italians uh, and had maybe two, you know, possibly even three real opportunities to score, but didn't. And again, you know, we talk about this all the time. Football which changes in, yeah, in, sure. in, in little moments. Anyway, eventually, Sorosi, the Hungarian captain, scored on the breakaway with 20 minutes left to make it 3-2 and set up a potential and a definite scramble for the finish. 3-2, 20 minutes to go. Hungary, Hungary? Hungary pushed hard for it, um, but Italy just held firm. Uh, and eventually, Piola, the uh, uh, Italian striker, um, uh, managed to, they managed to counter-attack. Miazza played him through, and he put the game away eight minutes by poking a pullback um, from Miazza who had broken away down the left-hand side uh, past Zabo, the hunger, Hungary keeper. And the final whistle went and Italy became the first and still only one of two teams to retain the World Cup. Can you name the other? Germany? No. Brazil? 98 in 2002? No. 
No, because France win France the final. Win. Sorry, but, but it was Brazil. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Give me the years. Pele, fifty-eight, sixty-two. Ah, okay. There we go. Uh, and then obviously again in nineteen seventy, with a little mention of England in the middle of that. But, <laughs> but we'll get there. Yeah, I'm sure we will milk that for all it's worth. We're when gonna we do, do a when we do five five podcast special. We're not going to do that. So Italy became the only team to uh, second, well, the only team at that point to retain, but also the only team in history to retain, and also interestingly, the first team to win on foreign soil. Oh, of course, because it's always been the hosts, right? Yeah. So, and we talked about this a little bit on think on the first week about how much the hosting um, impacted. Fact, yeah, yeah, and certainly early on that was you know definitely the case, and I think even into the uh, late ones, Germany in '54. Um, the host, obviously England, the host it was a definite. Yeah, sure. Um, I think probably less so as as years travel became a little bit easier to do and all the rest of it. Yeah, definitely. And also, I guess as players got used to playing in foreign environments. Yeah, with yeah, foreign exactly. players, the expansion of football, it becoming a more global game. Exactly. Uh, but back then, it was quite a big thing, and especially. Um, you know, to, for Italy to essentially win it under France's nose. Yeah, uh, with the hostility that was there Exactly, as well. yeah. So, um, yeah, credit to the footballing side mm-hmm. of Italy yeah. um, to win that. And so with that, we head into the AF extra time. Oh, c- c- that was lacklustre. <laughs> that was dreadful. I was going to say hurts, aftermath. It hurts my soul. I like the aftermath. Okay, well, you can. it's your report. You can introduce it how you like, and I'll drop in the uh, sting. Here's extra time, you prick. You have just witnessed 90 of the most gripping minutes of European football you will ever, ever see. But the good news is there's more to come. Uh, so you can imagine after the game, um, and, and, and certainly historically after the game, uh, a lot of uh, looking back on this was in the context of what happened yeah, a, a year course. later with the war and how that affected things and how that had affected the environment and the atmosphere of the, of the tournament. So I mentioned earlier about Mussolini's telegram. Um, to the Italian team that the Hungary players, certainly the captain and the keeper, knew about. Yeah. Um, so some claim that Hungarians, the Hungarians allowed the Italians to win the match after receiving word before the game and then having it again reminded at half-time, which is interesting because they came back out. And, and gave it some. Yeah, so I'm not necessarily sure that checks out. But that would surely that would play in your mind as right. a player. Right, so Zabo, the Hungarian keeper, said 40 years later, um, he was quoted as saying, I may have let four goals in that day, but at least I saved their lives. Wow. Which is... That um, just sends shivers down your it back, does, doesn't it? it? Yeah. The, the responsibility on people's shoulders that should never have been there. No, not at all. And, and obviously, you know, pours massive fuel on the fire of did they throw the game yeah. or did they at some point gonna go... Yeah, you, know, you know, catch Mussolini's eye in the crowd and go, we need to not win this game. Yeah, who, sure. Who knows? It's like it's real life stuff mm. affecting a non real life thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's crazy. So, anyway, um, because of World War Two, which obviously broke out a year later, that forced the cancellation of the next two planned World Cups. Um, so the Italians weirdly hold the record for the longest reign as world champions. Yeah, on a technicality, but yeah. sure. No, still. 16 years. Yeah. Uh, so no one has uh, held it longer. Uh, the Italian vice president, Dr. Ot- Otto Reno. Otto Reno Barossi hid the trophy in a shoebox under I, his bed. So I didn't think it was this one, but I do. I know that story. Yeah. I knew that the yeah, yeah, yeah the trophy got hidden literally in a shoebox under someone's bed That's for right. years and years and years. Yeah. But I didn't. Obviously, that makes sense that it was for this tournament. So but. during the Second World War, he hid the the, the Jules Rimet trophy uh, in a shoebox under his bed and saving it from falling into the hands of occupying troops. Amazing. It's an incredible story. So there it was, just in a like a yeah, you know, just random brown box. 
Absolute uh, hero. Hiding away. So that's really cool. Um, but this period, really, if we go back to football, this period belonged to the Italian team. Um, for many, believing that, uh, that they would dominate for the next decade or so, if not for the war. Obviously, Pozzo had recreated a team from 34 to 38. Yeah. This 38 team was a young team uh, and very much, you know, people believe that they probably would have won it again. In, yeah. in, in, Innovated in a new tactic. Exactly. Progressing the game. So they were leading the world game at this time. It's just to illustrate that, Piola remains the top. So this isn't, uh, you know, I don't say that kind of sentence as if it doesn't have any backing. This is the stuff that backs it. Piola remains the top goal scorer in the history of Serie A and holds the distinction of being the all-time leading scorer at three different clubs. Wow, I had no Even idea now. about this this guy, yeah. Piola. Wow. And it's by like 60 goals. Yeah. So it's, he's a long way. He's like Shearer of the Premier League. It's, it's yeah. a long way away. Um, so, you know, when, when we say this Italian team was world leading, we mean it. Yeah. Uh, Giuseppe Miazza ended his career, as I mentioned, as the highest scoring player in the history of the Italian national team. He was only uh, capped 53 times for the Azzurri and lost only six games in that Amazing. period. Yeah. I mean, that's a that lucky chance. Strength. Charm. Yeah. Who was the lucky charm for England? It was someone random, wasn't it? Wasn't it like oh, Phil Jones or something? It like was that? someone like that, or Ashley Young, or somebody. Yeah, they just never lost. Yeah, yeah, until they went to a World Cup. Um, so, however, um, so you know, to kind of chart that, and this is it kind of finishes off on the thirty-eight World Cup to chart the 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 rise and stature of this Italian team uh, at this time with the players that they had was records that still hold firm even to this day, or at least long into history. Uh, and then the war came along. Uh, and 12 years later, there was another World Cup uh, in 1950. Italy qualified as defending champions, but they were severely depleted. Um, one after the war, and then secondly, after um, the superior, uh, not spelt superior as we would know, but superior air disaster, um, which claimed the lives of six of oh, really? um, the squad and uh, backroom staff. Oh, I didn't um, know about that. So, yeah, they, so they were, you know, they a were shadow of a shadow, themselves. absolutely. So, you know, a couple of stats to kind of recognise um, that, in many ways, Italy are the Everton of the world game. Go on. <laughs> I, as in, I don't want to give it to you, but I feel that actually you've got a good point. Well, you know, the European ban yeah. denied, the wrong time. Def- denied Everton, you know, probably the finest run. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, are you going to give me? Are you taking the mic? No, no, I, I actually, I think it's a good mirror. So, um, yeah, Italy, in the same way, they probably would have gone on to dominate, certainly in 42, maybe in 46. Uh, but ultimately, by the time 50 came around, they were not the same team. Pozzo had gone. Uh, half their team had uh, tragically uh, died uh, either in the war or in the air disaster. So to illustrate that, they finished second in a three-team group in 1950, and they were eliminated. They only won one game, a scraped 1-0 victory. Uh, and uh, interestingly, that they would not advance beyond the group stage again. Which is crazy if you yeah. think Italy were the Brazil, the Germany, yeah. you know. They were it, the world power. Yeah, yeah, right. They would not advance beyond the group stage again. Not once, not a kind of hiccup, but ongoingly until 1970. Wow. So another five World Cups. Yeah, perennial underachievers. Yeah. But and Yeah, interesting. I mean, those of you who know your history, they famously lost to North Korea. Yeah. In 1966, mm-hmm. a 1-0. And they became that team. Yeah, yeah. They became the team that were once big that you fancied your chances against. Yeah. Um, and and they righted that wrong in 1970, and we'll get to that. They obviously um, contested a brilliant final against Brazil and were very good in the 1970 um, uh, World Cup. But that period of time from world domination yeah. uh, through 1970, yeah, Italy had a, a, a fall from grace in a big way. And that is the 1938 World Cup. That was that was fascinating. I'd love that one. Thanks, mate. Uh, so uh, yeah, join us. 
as we don't take a break, but the World Cup does uh, next week as we look at the 1950 World Cup final.